Ooh, I got those bad allergies, boy. I'm itching like a crackhead. But, uh, that's every year. Every year I forget that I get hay fever and then I'm itchy. And now is not a good time to rub your eyes, uh, scratch the inside of your nose, or scratch your ears or any of that. Because coronavirus. So, which I may <laughs> which I may have been wrong about. Uh... Maybe not the severity, but the scale. So Italy looks like it's doing pretty bad. This is a hard season not to scratch your face. Uh, and I work at a gym, so I got an itchy face the whole time that I'm there. <clears throat> but I digress. Uh, yeah, we took a little counter. We took a couple of countermeasures uh, to make sure that if they shut public places like the gym down, that, you know... Uh, We'll have supplies and stuff like that. So we went and got a big, a uh, little dry goods, some rice, and a big sack of potatoes. You know, that Irish quarantine. So if we get quarantined, we'll survive it the way that Irish people have for thousands of years with the potato. The secret weapon, Weapon X. That Irish quarantine. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm back. So welcome to... Episode 5 of the Seth Says Podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about something that has helped me quite a bit in not being gullible. I was kind of a gullible kid. Uh, people used to trick me and and things like that. Uh, that's kind of the school of hard knocks in some ways because, you know, then you feel like a dummy if you've been led on, and then you kind of beat yourself up over it and stuff like that. So I, I developed a very rational side <clears throat> in response to that, and it's done me a lot of good in a lot of ways in a lot of area, all all areas of my life. So the um, I took a a college philosophy course called Formal Logic, and Formal Logic is is the the study of logic. Logic isn't just thinking your way through something rationally. It's a little a little more than that. So there are ways to know if something is logical. And one of those ways is to know what's not logical. So those are called logical fallacies, fallacious thinking, erroneous thinking and how to spot it. And and there are four major logical fallacies or errors in reasoning. Uh, they're super useful. And once you know them, you'll know if somebody is bullshitting you or not. And you will pretty much stop watching the news. <laughs> because the news runs almost entirely on uh, emotional reasoning as opposed to actual logic. So... <clears throat> we'll go through those and uh and yes let's let's get going on that so ad hominem right that's that's when you say when you say the content of someone's argument is invalid or inaccurate because of their their character because of who they are 
you know, um, you could say, oh, well, you know, Brad's horrible with finances. You know, don't don't take his advice on uh, investing. You know, okay, it does sound good at a glance, and that does sound like pretty good advice. But, you know, Brad might have read, he might have gotten that from an article written by someone that was real big on Wall Street that was an expert in investing. Just because Brad is horrible with finances does not mean that his information isn't accurate. So that's ad hominem. Just because someone isn't a good example of something in their own life, it doesn't mean that what they're saying is wrong. So you can't prove an argument wrong by saying that somebody, you know, isn't a good example of of that in their in their real life. So it's basically trying to prove someone's information false by attacking their character in some kind of way, which you're not attacking the argument, you're then just attacking the personality of the person that's making the argument, and that's why ad hominem is, is classified as a logical fallacy, because it's not logical to counter an argument by arguing not against the information, but against the person. So if you see that, you know, <clears throat> that's that's a huge one. It, it it's big, you know. Oh, that person can't know much on that topic because they're generally a terrible person. That has nothing to do with whether or not something's accurate. So that's ad hominem, and that's a that's a tricky one. So some philosophies, uh, like Stoicism, they lean pretty heavily on you know you shouldn't take somebody's advice if they're not you know. It's not working out for them, and they're preaching it. So, there are pros and cons to ad hominem, but in the end, you know, it might be good. It might be good advice not to listen to Brad, who's terrible with finances. You know, in investing, it might be. You know, there are two sides to that coin. So, ad hominem. It's useful not to listen to advice from someone who can't show uh, positive results of what they're saying. I get that. So the Stoics are right in assuming that that's pattern recognition. That pattern is not a pattern that maybe you want to follow. However, in the end... Ad hominem is not a logical way to approach uh, information because the content of someone's character has nothing to do with the information presented. It could be accurate. You know, terrible people say true things all the time. So in the end, ad hominem does uh, qualify as a logical fallacy, and it's the one that is most often used. Okay? Yeah, don't listen to Randy. He's a liar. You know, don't listen to Susie. You know, she's full of shit. Well, she might be, but you can't attack the person if you're trying to attack um, a point of view. 
You must address the point of view and attack that and break it down if you want to prove it false. You can't attack the person. That doesn't... That In the end, it doesn't actually make sense to do that. So if you're going to attack an argument, attack the argument. Don't attack the person making the argument. That's ad ad hominem. And that's a logical fallacy. Another one you'll see is uh, the straw man. So that's when someone presents an argument. They'll say... Senator Jones doesn't want to endorse the nuclear submarine program because he feels that the taxpayer's money could be better spent doing something else and there are other defense alternatives. Well, uh, if you want to uh, make it look like Senator Jones is wrong, you could say... How could Senator Jones not endorse our nuclear submarine program? How could he advocate leaving us completely defenseless like that? And you'll hear stuff like that all the time. But that is a straw man argument. Meaning, they're not attacking Senator Jones' uh, uh, dismissal of the nuclear submarine program. Or they're mischaracterizing his argument. Senator Jones never said that he advocates leaving people defenseless. He just said he doesn't, he's not an advocate for the nuclear submarine program. Right? The, he might think there are better defense alternatives, but, you know, his opponent will spin it to where, oh, if he doesn't endorse the nuclear submarine program, he leaves us completely defenseless. So, they threw a fake argument up there as Senator Jones' argument and then attacked the fake argument they threw up there. And that's why they call it a straw man. It's a dummy. So you throw a dummy argument up there and then attack the argument and then it convinces people when really that wasn't what you know the person was saying at all. Senator Jones never said he wants to leave people defenseless. He just said he's going to vote down the nuclear submarine program. And so that's straw man. So you'll see a lot of straw man arguments. Um, Fox News is awesome for straw man arguments. You know, that's a great example. Um, Right, so straw man. That's when you... When you take part of what someone said and then exaggerate or embellish it a little bit and then start attacking it right away, right? So you can take, you know, part of a quote. People do that all the time. They won't use the entire quote. They'll use half of the quote and then and then state that as what someone means and somebody stands. And then they'll argue against you know, a partial quote or something. Dirty tactic. Very effective. Because most people don't know these logical fallacies. They don't know how to spot errors in reasoning. This college class was really helpful for it. Uh, So yes, there's ad hominem attacking the person instead of the argument. And you got straw man, which is attacking 
a version of the argument that you created that is not necessarily what they meant and mischaracterizing what they said, such as using partial quotes and, and something like that. <clears throat> also, you know, a fallacy of origin is a, a classic reasoning error. Maybe this one's the most popular. So you could say, you know, man, what does Janet know about hip-hop? She's white, right? So it's a way of discrediting someone based on their origin. That origin could be race. That origin could be vocation, what they do for a living. That origin could be age. You know, that origin could be, you know... It could be anything. It's where someone comes from. It's a, it's not attacking the information. It's attacking where they come from in an attempt to discredit discredit what they're saying. And so that's not logical, you know. You know, Janet might know a lot about hip hop. Janet could be a hip hop historian, you know. Uh, you could say, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, Tyrone knows about square dancing, you know. What's Tyrone know about square dancing? He's black, you know? I mean, it sounds funny. It makes for a pretty good, like, joke scenario. Because it's unlikely that a black dude will be really into square dancing. Let's be honest. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to square dancing. You know? Uh, he could be taking his horse to that old town road. <laughs> you know? So, where someone comes from... Doesn't mean, like, uh, we live in Louisiana. I mean, I live in Louisiana. Maybe not everybody listening to this does, but uh, because of the Southern drawl we have, sometimes it appears like we're ignorant and we don't know what we're talking about. We have a lot of local sayings, too, colloquialisms. Like, sometimes people in Louisiana will start out, um, they will start a sentence with a preposition uh, or end a sentence with a preposition, they'll say, um, uh, where's a remote at? You know, it's just a local flavor that has just been passed down and passed down, but it makes, it lends like a certain ignorance to what we're saying. Also, they'll just say stuff that's funny, that's cultural, like someone, you know, if you really agree with someone real quick and you want to let them know, you'll be like, ah, <laughs> yeah, you're right, you know? Uh, you'll say, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's just Louisiana. It doesn't mean that we're not educated people and that we don't know what we're talking about. And the country accent does. It does sound kind of bad, but that's that fallacy of origin, you know? Um, we got neurosurgeons. You know, we have orthopedists. We have physicists, you know? Those people come from everywhere. You know, they come from Louisiana too. So just from because somebody's from Mississippi or Louisiana or West Virginia, um, and they have an accent, doesn't mean that person doesn't know what they're talking about. That is a fallacy of origin. You know, I wouldn't discard anyone's information because of the way they sound or the race that they are or the way that they look or the things that they've been through. You really have to just listen to the content of the discussion. And that's what this discussion is about.
and the uh, so yeah you got ad hominem attacking the person instead of the argument you got straw man mischaracterizing their argument and attacking the dummy version the straw man argument straw man of that argument you got fallacy of origin saying just because someone comes from blank they don't know about blank which really doesn't make sense and you got slippery slope <clears throat> and that's when people make a leap off of a leap off of a leap so they'll say something like planned parenthood uh funds abortions pretty soon if you start funding abortions there will be a market for it in the free market people will be growing babies in uh, laboratories and harvesting their organs and selling them on the internet you know who else sold organs nazis so if you support planned parenthood you're a nazi like there were so many what ifs if this happens then this might might happen then if that happens this might happen then if that happens, this might happen. So if you're an A, then you're a B. So you connect this string of what ifs, and if this happens, this might happens. And at the end, you get something that doesn't resemble reality. And um, media creates a lot of panics by doing that. Slippery slope, really great with that. You know, if we legalize marriage equality, uh, we let men start marrying men, then what's next? You know, are we going to start letting people marry their dog? You know, like, why would that have anything to do with the first thing at all? That's a, a, a ooh, that's my intermittent fasting alarm. It's 11 o'clock, so I can eat if I want to. Uh, right, so... You know, that that doesn't have anything to do. So if you start letting gay people marry, then you're going to start letting other immoral things happen. And that's a supposition because is it immoral? That's up for debate. Uh, really, in reality, no. But people have different thoughts on that. So then you're going to take that leap. Okay, so marriage equality is immoral. And then that's a leap. And then so if you're going to allow immoral things, let's take another leap then you might as well just let people marry their dog. You know, what's next? You're going to marry a fence post? What's this going to lead to? So it's um, it's leaping off of a series of groundless claims or something that hasn't happened yet or something that may happen but hasn't happened yet or something that has happened but is in a very rare percentage chance of actually happening. So that's slippery slope. See, if you start slipping downhill, it'll all go downhill from there. And that's the way slippery slope works. You know, well, if you start this, then you'll slip further and then slip further and then slip further. And pretty soon you'll be on your ass, you know. And so that's that's not rational. That's not a rational way to approach information. That is a logical fallacy, and those are your four big ones.
you for a big one. So if somebody is presenting information to you and they're making an argument for a position, you can use those logical fallacies to see if they have it together or not. You know, if they're if they commit every single one of those logical fallacies in the course of presenting a position to you, then they probably do not know what they're talking about and they're parroting information that they heard from some emotional media outlet of some kind. So very hard this goes a long way to critical thinking, to thinking for yourself and figuring things out for yourself. <clears throat> so, just a recap. Ad hominem. Number one. Attacking the person instead of attacking their position. Two. The straw man. Mischaracterizing what they said and attacking the mischaracterization of their stance or argument. Three. Fallacy of origin. You know, uh, what does Billy Joe know about being sophisticated? He's from the hills of Kentucky. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You know, he might, you don't know what he studied. You don't know his experience. He might not have always lived there. He might have grown up there and then moved out. Uh, there's no telling. So that's a logical fallacy. Billy Joe may very well be sophisticated. We don't know. Uh... And slippery slope. And slippery slope is a series of what-ifs that is made to look like it demonstrates something conclusive when it, it, it couldn't. Because it's mites, it's would'ves, it's could'ves, it's the rare probability that something has happened and loosely linking those things together. So that's not a rational way to uh, approach... Uh, <clears throat> the analyzation of information and those go those are very helpful in being a critical thinker and i i feel like everybody should to improve the quality of their lives become less gullible by being a more critical thinker you know i'm a huge advocate for that you know, one of the first stoic virtues is uh, prudence, prudentia, uh, rationality. It should make sense. If you believe something, it should make actual sense. And in order or not to know if it makes sense, we have these logical fallacies. So I was just thinking about that today, and I was just thinking about how helpful it was. Um, just to me as a person, sift through nonsense and, and make more informed decisions. So being a, a, a better decision maker helps you make better decisions. And, and that's good sense. Right? Um, yeah. Epicurus got me thinking about that. So I've done so much Stoicism lately, uh, reading the prominent texts uh, from that, Meditations, the Enchiridion, and uh, Letters to Lucilius, stuff like that. A lot of Stoics. So I decided to get into 
the rival school of philosophy at the time, which was Epicureanism, and where the Stoics say, don't, I don't pray for a good life, I pray for the strength to endure a hard one. The Epicureans would say, look, if a situation sucks, see how you can make it better because the point of life is to enjoy life. So we're here to maximize enjoyment. If you want to minimize pain, clearly the easiest and most efficient way to do this is to maximize pleasure. Now, that sounds like hedonism. Hedonism is the unashamed, unabashed pursuit of pleasures of the senses. Well, okay, so Epicureanism sounds at a glance like hedonism, but it's not. So, it's not advocating that you just, okay, so I got problems. If I get drunk, I'll feel better, and then my problems will feel less severe. Okay, but if you get a hangover, now you're suffering. So, now you're suffering again. So, yeah, drink a little bit. Talk to a good friend. So, you got a problem, you know, have a couple beers with a good friend. Talk your problem out. Say you were moderate in your drinking, so you didn't get a hangover. You uh, exercised good social connection. And, and and spent time with a good friend, and you worked on your problem. Problem solved. You know, so they looked on the bright side of life. Whereas Stoics really looked at ways to endure the dark side of life. So really, there are two sides of the same coin. And some of them often, um, big Epicureans and big Stoics often quoted each other and admired each other. So I would say it's more of a friendly rivalry. And I use um, tenets from both of those philosophies in my life because I think there is a lot of good material uh, from both sides. So I wouldn't characterize myself necessarily as either one of those or anything really. <clears throat> I think it's good to be a freestyle thinker um, and take what you find useful and what has been useful to you and disregard what is unuseful or hasn't been working for you or produced the opposite results of what you you really are trying to do. Now, um, in line with that logic, uh, boot camp taught me a lot. Military thinking is effective. And uh, and they call that linear thinking. And so, this is a way to get from point A to point B. Uh, Linear thinking is setting goals backwards from an ultimate goal. Uh, The boilers are down. We need to get them up and running in order for an aircraft carrier to, you know, um, make its mission parameters in time. We need to be at this point in the Arabian Gulf by Wednesday. We need that boiler up so that we can get to, you know, such and such knots and get there in time. That is the end result. 
And you work backwards from there. How do we make this happen? All right, so this has to be achieved. This has to be achieved. These materials need to be present. Do we need to order these materials? Do we have them? How many people is it going to take to fix it? How long is it going to take? Um, the nuts and bolts solutions to problems. That's linear thinking. And it's linear because it's a line. You plot an end course, and then you plot uh, short-term intermediate goals, and then you plot small goals to attain those um, periodic intermediate goals until you can definitely achieve your objective. Most likely something large scale. The military is great at large scale operations, and that's how they and that's how they do it. They use linear thinking. So, <clears throat> you know, my dad's from Africa, and they got a saying in South Africa: uh, "You can eat an elephant one bite at a time," and that's linear thinking. There's nothing that you cannot do in chunks if you're realistic about how to plan it out. You know, and make contingency plans, be adaptable. Um, and that's linear thinking. And Navy taught me that. Uh, I have, I'm a so so artist. I could have been good if I practiced a lot, I guess. Uh, been more of a writer all the time. You know, uh, I'm a good writer. Uh, I've had several papers in college shown to the dean. So I have, I guess you could have. I have what you call an artistic temperament, you know, so <clears throat> I could be in La La Land, I daydreamed a lot as a kid, I was real gullible, had a great imagination, it's kind of odd, you know, so linear thinking being introduced to me in my military enlistment did a lot to balance my personality. You know, so it was good. So it made me think of what is achievable and the materials that I need to achieve it, how long it's going to take me to do it, <clears throat> and if I have the resources to make it happen. And those are very valuable things for me to uh, attain and maintain goals that I have. <clears throat> I'll always be thankful for that. So... They used a um, <laughs> real carrot and stick approach to training us, which was real effective too. Uh, if you, and most negotiations, most of life is in negotiation, and almost all negotiations involve a carrot or a stick. So if you want to get a mule to move, there are a couple, there are two ways you can do it if you need him to move. You can put a carrot in front of his face as a reward, and he will walk to the carrot, thus getting the mule to move. You can also hit the, the mule with a stick on the backside, and that mule will move. So you can use a reward or a punishment, and most negotiations are, are rewards and punishments, or carrot and stick sort of negotiations. Uh, the best negotiations are win-win. Are when everyone gets a carrot. But if you're competing or, you know, in in places like corporate boardrooms or in places like the military where you, urgency is, um, brevity is not a luxury or you need brevity. You need speed. It needs to be done now. 
they they would tell us all the time, do it, do it now. And they'd make, get on it right away. If you did a great job, then you got a pretty big carrot. You got a little more clout, and with rank comes privileges. And that was really enjoyable. So if you did what you were told quickly and well, you were, you got that big fat carrot. You know, lots of vitamin A. But if you didn't do it, or if you did it poorly, they might give you a second shot. But if you didn't do it, you will wish you had done it. Because the next thing they got for you is going to be worse. Promise that. And if you can't do that, or you won't do that, the thing after that is worse, and the thing after that is worse, until you will just wish you had done the original thing to the best of your ability. And that's how they trained us. And those were good lessons for life, because it might it was a microcosm of the macrocosm of accountability. So... You might not be held accountable to your actions in everyday life immediately, but most things will catch up with you eventually. So it's good to learn how to treat yourself with a carrot, a carrot stick mentality. See, we had it from outside. Discipline and self-discipline are different things. That was discipline. They disciplined me with the carrot and stick approach. Because they needed me ready in a certain amount of time and there was no other way to do it. Uh, Parenting is very similar. Um, I'm an advocate for peaceful parenting, but that's going to be a different podcast. I don't hit my kid. Never will. I know from being in the military that you do not have to hit someone to make their life miserable and present that stick approach. It doesn't take a literal stick. Um. They may be plenty miserable without ever striking me. And I learned real quick that that wasn't... It's better to do what I need to do the first time uh, to the best of my ability. And and uh, that was valuable for me too. Because like I said, big daydreamer, artistic temperament, highly creative, little scatterbrained, pretty gullible. So... Um, the linear thinking and the carrot and stick training approach and the and the logical fallacies from college and uh, philosophy in general uh, really went a long way to making me whole or making me feel more whole and, and balanced because, you know, things should make sense. They, they just should. Uh... I uh <clears throat> I found something out recently. As everybody, I think I see enough memes about it, so it's probably pretty prevalent that people at nighttime when you're about to go to sleep, you think of the cringy stuff you've done in the past and uh and and re-cringe, relive it. I know I do, man. I got that I got along real well with Japanese people because when something goes wrong, I tend to first think about what part I played in it going wrong. So a lot of American culture is like, they'll fling both hands out and point fingers. Oh, I couldn't get it done because it was his fault and his fault. You know? 
oh, I couldn't get it done because uh, my wife wasn't ready on time and that's why I'm late. Or, you know, it's never, uh, you know, what part did I play in this going wrong? Uh, but I've always kind of been like that. And the Japanese are like that too. So they internalize something that has happened. Whether if they hurt your feelings, they feel super, super bad about it. Or if they embarrassed you, they feel really bad about it. And they want to know how they can fix it and make it right. You know, and I got a lot of that. So I was blaming myself, um, even for stuff I did when I was a little kid, I was at a grocery store when I was like three or four years old, and uh, they had another little boy that was very badly burned, and he was my same age, uh, and I hadn't met him before, that was the first time I ever saw him, and um, uh, he was burned up bad, like bad, bad, bad. And he scared me so badly looking at him that I ran screaming and hugged my mom's leg. And I was like, Mom, there's someone in the store with a, a Halloween mask on and they're scaring me on purpose. And and um, and uh, I freaked out a little bit and my mom was like, okay, not cool. You know, and she went over there and looked and she was like, aw you know what? And then she came back to me and she was like, you know what? That's not a Halloween mask. That little boy was in an accident and he was burned really badly. And he, and he's probably a very nice little boy. Uh, and yeah, I thought, I, I thought about it for years, pretty much my whole life. Like every week at some point, I would be like, man, I made that kid feel, okay, so he he got all burned up, and now I made him feel like extra dog shit, like he was a monster, and I'm sure that he got that a lot, and it contributed to his suffering quite a bit and made him pretty goddamn miserable, and so from my part in that, I was remorseful uh, yeah, until like last month, <laughs> my mom was like, oh my God, you've been carrying that around. I thought, uh, you know, that, that wasn't the end of what happened. Uh, he was in the, the checkout line next to us after I told you he was probably a, a very nice little boy and that he'd been in an accident and you, um, went up to him when he was in the checkout line and you said, I'm sorry, you're probably a very nice boy. And then the two of you were looking at gum and uh, candy bars together. And I was like, man, I wish I had known that. I've been carrying that around, <laughs> I've been carrying that around inside like my whole life. Like uh, I kicked somebody that w- when they were down, you know, and... Uh, and uh, so it was good to know that it released something inside me where I did make it right. And I, and, and so that's awesome, you know, so I could stop blaming myself for that one. But I think that if somebody does something more than, you know, looking to forgive yourself, you should try to make it right. And when you make it right, 
then you can forgive yourself. But if you didn't try, you had no right to forgive yourself. Now, if you tried and the other person was like, <laughs> you know, fuck off, what are you going to do? That's, uh, you know, you tried. So, you know, I, I feel like I got I to gotta try. Okay, so I at least have to make an effort to make it right. Um, yeah, so I can stop blaming myself for that one. And I know that guy. Now I found out who it was years later. And I had already talked to him and I would already palled around with him. I used to hang out with him at a coffee shop in a city called Mandeville. That's right by Lake Pontchartrain across the lake from New Orleans. And his name is Dan Caro. And even though he has no arms, well, he doesn't have no arms, he's got no hands, right? Uh, he's a badass drummer. How, you may ask? Well, he takes, like, those wristbands and then puts the drumsticks in those, and he kicks ass. And he also wrote a book about how that tragedy um, um, strengthened his mind, and, he, and that book is called The Gift of Fire. And uh, and he started a hashtag, hashtag live hot. So, you know, follow Dan Caro for that. And, uh, you know, if you ever listen to this, Dan, I'm sorry I did that. But apparently, you know, I checked myself and, uh, and you're a good dude. And I'm glad that you used that tragedy to uh, strengthen you. You didn't make excuses. Um you used it as rocket fuel and uh took off so good on you man you're a great example all right and that is it for episode five of the seth says podcast thanks everybody <laughs>